hello again and welcome back to my podcast Sadie Speaks. Uh, if you haven't already listened to my previous podcast um, on the disappearance of Madison Scott, I would love for you to check it out or if you have already, thank you. Um, and thank you for your support and feedback. Now I'd like to get into talking about this next very long story um, about the uh, infamous Highway of Tears, also known as Highway 16. Um, if you don't know much about it, um, I hope you're ready because it's, it's a, it's a very long, long story here. Um, so the Highway of Tears is a 725 kilometer or 450 mile long, um, corridor of highway, uh, between the city of Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia in Canada, um, which has been the unfortunate location of many murders and strange disappearances stemming back to about 1970. Um, so roughly about 50 years. And the name, the Highway of Tears, was actually coined in 1998 by a woman um, named Florence Nazale um, in the small city of Terrace, uh, northwest of Prince George. During a vigil being held there, um, she was thinking of all the families that have been crying over the loss of loved ones at the time there were four murdered and two missing um women and girls and there's a disproportionately high number of indigenous women and girls on this list of victims um there have been a few proposed explanations for the crimes and very limited progress in identifying culprits involved which includes you know systemic racism which many indigenous communities all across Canada know all too well um poverty uh drug and alcohol abuse uh, widespread domestic violence um foster home systems such as the Canadian um residential school system which we'll go into more detail about um in another episode because that's another very very long and really heartbreaking story to talk about um with poverty rates being so high in these communities um not a lot of people have cars not a lot of people um drive and so this lack of mobility leads to a lot of people hitchhiking and it's usually their only mode of transportation to get to see family um school work and um even some seeking medical treatment um Another factor to take into account for the number of um, abductions and murders is how isolated and remote many of these communities and areas are. Um, there's a lot of wildlife as well, too. Um, bears, coyotes, wolves, you know, just the list goes on and on. Um, and a lot of these animals have kind of, you know, a carnivorous um, diet, you know, and can make off with human remains, um, which you know, to somebody who's wishing to do harm to another person might seem like the perfect place to, um, carry out these, you know, these violent crimes, um, just due to it being so remote, quiet, you know, dense forests, hardly anybody around to notice, and they can easily carry out, um, crimes of that nature, um, as well as makes it easier to dispose of any evidence and, Whatnot. So, um, according to the RCMP, um, there was a project called Project Impana, 
And this list was organized by um, the province and the RCMP. Um, it was back in 2005, I believe. Um, this uh, project was used to focus on the unsolved and um, missing and murdered women and girls, indigenous women and girls along this highway. Um, although this was a provincially funded organization in BC, there's still many missing and murdered indigenous women and girls all across Canada. But um, this episode is just focusing on the one in BC, like the problems happening in BC right now. But I will definitely go into detail on another episode about um, the other provinces as well as um, the residential residential schools in Canada. And uh, yeah, so um, the first investigation um, by the by the RCMP um, that tried to look at these cases um, was opened in. December 1980 or 1998 sorry um this list back then included three additional male victims um Larry Vu, Eric Charles Koss and Philip Eines Fraser um which later on they um were discovered and considered to not actually be linked to any of the missing women and girls cases um on that list um the list of victims reported missing or found murdered is a very, very long one just because of the number um, of victims is so high. Not all of them were able to receive the coverage that um, they deserved on their cases. And um, some you may have heard about already, some you may not have heard. And um, so I'm I'm only able to really kind of go based on what I was able to find in my research and... Um, from people that I've talked to about um, people that have gone missing and whatnot here. So you're probably going to hear my like book like flipping like 20 times because like I wrote a very, very, very long um, page about this. So yeah, there were a few victims that I was able to find some information on. Um, there's quite a lot of them. So there were a few that I found here. Um, the first one that I found was on, and I'm sorry if I pronounce any of these wrong. It's, I'm sorry. The first one is Isla Sarek Auger. Um, she was a 14-year-old girl from Prince George, BC. Um, she was last seen by her family um, February 2nd, 2002. And it was about eight days later when her body was discovered in a ditch alongside Highway 16 near Prince Rupert. Nobody has been deemed a suspect, so her case still remains unsolved. Um, the next one that I found was Tamara Chipman. She was a 22-year-old woman from Prince Rupert. Uh, Tamara was last seen September 21st, 2006. Um, she was also found hitchhiking along Highway 16 near Prince Rupert. Her case also remains unsolved. Although her family believes that foul play was involved, but no evidence has been found to support that theory, which is kind of bullshit, in my opinion. I definitely feel like there was foul play involved, and her family has every right to be angry about that. Um, the next one that I found was Lana Derrick. Um, Lana Derrick was a 19-year-old college student who was last seen in October 1995 at a gas station in Terrace. Um, she's never been seen again. There were no remains found. Not that I looked into my research and I couldn't find anything either. Um, 
The next was Alicia Germain. She was a 15-year-old girl found murdered in Prince George, B.C. on December 9th, 1994. Um, as well, um, wasn't able to find any any suspects for her disappearance. They were not able to, um, they didn't find anybody who, you know, fit the description of, like, who had been around her when they last saw her. Nothing on her. Um, there was also Roxanne um, Fiera. She was another 15-year-old girl who went missing in Quinnell, which is pretty close to Prince George. Um, her body was found um, in August 1994, just off Highway 16 near Burns Lake. So another one on Highway 16. And the fact that um, Roxanne and Alicia Germain's deaths were only a couple months apart and the close proximity between Prince George and Quinnell kind of makes me think that they're connected. And, you know, if anybody does any more, like, research on them, um, you'd probably come to the same conclusion as me, which is that I'm pretty sure the same person um, was involved in both of uh, the disappearances and the murders. Um, this next one was Ramona Wilson. Um, she was a 16-year-old girl from Smithers who was last seen alive June 1994. Um, another person who, um, had believed to have been hitchhiking as well and was found 10 months later. Delphine Nicole was a, another 16-year-old girl from Smithers as well. She went missing and was last seen hitchhiking, um, from Smithers in June 1990, trying to get to her home in, um, Telqua. Nobody's seen her. And then as well, there was another girl, um... Alberta Williams. She was 24 at the time of her disappearance. Um, she went missing in August 1989. Weeks later, her body was found near Prince Rupert along Highway 16 as well. Um, Monica Ignis. She went missing and was last seen August 1974. Her remains were found five months later in Thornhill, B.C., Um, to this day, there have, um, there have been a few people convicted in cases relating to the Highway of Tears, um, murders. Um, three of the people convicted, um, were considered serial killers. And according to, um, uh, the FBI, um, you probably already know who that is. I don't really need to go into detail about who the FBI is, but, um, to them, um, a serial killer is an offender who commits a series of two or more murders um, committed as separate events, usually but not always by the one person acting alone. And a serial murder is defined as the unlawful killing of two or more victims by the same offender in separate events. So basically, you know, the same idea. Um, the first one was Brian Peter Arp. Arp was arrested on October 4th, 1993. Um, Arp was convicted on the murders of Teresa Umphrey, Marnie Blanchard, and is still currently living his uh, life sentence in uh, prison right now. The next one was Edward Dennis Isaac. Um, Isaac was convicted in 1981-1982 for the murders of Nina Joseph Jean Kovacs. Um, this one, I'm very sorry if I'm mispronouncing this one. It's Ross with, uh, um, 
Fischbischler, and um, he is also currently still living out a life sentence in um, prison. The next one that I want to talk about is one that most people in northern BC, or at least in the Prince George kind of area, probably already know about, and um, so... There's a lot, a lot of people still talking about this to this day because there's still trials going forward with this and just a lot of, there's a lot of things going on right now too. So like, I'll probably end up adding more to this, but, um, anyway, um, the next person I want to talk about who was, um, convicted, um, have, having to do with, um, the highway of tears, crimes and, uh, murders, was um, a man by the name of Cody Lejabokov. Cody Lejabokov was born in Fort St. James, B.C. on January 21st, 1990. Lejabokov had moved to Prince George where he um, had shared an apartment with um, a couple of close female friends that he'd known and um, was working at the time at the Ford dealership in Prince George. Um... According to friends and family, you know, look, a lot of people kind of say this thing, you know, when they find out somebody close to them has been, you know, convicted of crimes, like, to this degree, you know, oh, we didn't see it coming, we had no idea, like, sometimes it's really, really hard to tell, because people can hide a number of things. There's so many things that, like, people that knew him were almost, like, shocked when they found out when it had come to light what he had done. But um, anyway, um, many of his friends and family were saying he was a very popular young man. You know, he liked playing sports. He liked ice hockey um, and never really showed any signs of violent behavior. Like, you know, didn't really talk down to people was, you know, just apparently an all around pretty pretty good guy to you know talk to and stuff like that and didn't didn't give any red flags to anybody about like what he might have been up to in his spare time when people weren't around and um although he apparently did have a bit of a minor criminal record um I don't know if I'm allowed to really go into detail about that considering there's I'm pretty sure there's still a trial kind of going on with this case right now but um even though he had this minor criminal record, he was not exactly on the radar from local police and the RCMP, um, you know, about all these murders and these abductions and stuff like that and missing people. Like, they were, he was the last person on anybody's mind, which is, you know, to say for a lot of people that have been convicted of these crimes, they oh they had no idea they didn't know that this was going on and whatnot but um yeah so never caught the attention of the police up until um 2010 so about 10 years ago and kind of creepy as it is this happened on my birthday so on november 27th 2010 around 9 45 p.m so you know anybody living up north knows you know around november it's kind of cold probably snowing I mean why would you be out this late in the middle of the night in winter in Prince George but um yeah so on November 27 2010 at roughly 9 45 p.m 
there was a constable by the name of Aaron Keller. Um, he said that he saw something kind of weird. He saw a 2004 GMC truck um, pulling onto the Highway 27 from a quiet and remote logging road, which was weird to him because, you know, a lot of people know, and even the cops know, and anybody familiar with Prince George or even anywhere up north knows that, you know, these kind of roads can be kind of dangerous. They can be icy. It's just cold, snowy, just, you know, not a place you want to be unless you absolutely have to be. And so he, like, obviously wasn't driving a logging truck. So, like, he thought maybe this was weird. Like, maybe this person needed help or something like that. And then this truck, um, which Lejabokov was driving, which Keller didn't know at the time, he just saw this truck speeding, driving erratically, and Constable Keller kind of had, like, a hunch maybe something wasn't right. Um, so Keller decided to pull over the vehicle for a routine traffic stop. Um, hardly anybody out here, like, is out there, like, that late at night and, you know, in the dead of winter, the freezing freaking cold. So Keller, you know, had suspected maybe, you know, the driver was, um, out there to be poaching, which is, you know, like, illegal hunting. And, um, yeah, so... Keller decided to pull him over, and then he was also joined by another officer. Um, both Officer Keller and the second officer said that um, they had pulled this truck over, and after searching the truck, they found in the back a multi-tool and a wrench covered in blood, as well as a child's monkey-shaped backpack that had a wallet and um, a hospital bracelet with the name Lauren Leslie on it. Um, when the officers questioned um, Lejbokov about the blood, um, Lejbokov had explained, oh, that he was poaching and apparently had clubbed a deer to death because he said, end quote, I'm a redneck and that's what we do for fun, which is kind of disgusting, but, you know, some people do weird things, but, like, it was still kind of weird. Like, why would you be out at, like, 10 o'clock at night, the dead of winter, clubbing a deer? Like, if that doesn't set off red flags, I don't know what does, because that's, that's just weird. Like, I, I know a lot of people who are, like, into hunting and stuff like that, and, like, I highly doubt if I were to go ask any of them that, they, you know, their idea of fun would be clubbing a deer in the middle of the night during winter. <laughs> like, that's just weird. Um... Yeah, so he said that, that that was what he does for fun and stuff like that. But um, the truck had literally no sign of a deer carcass. There was nothing related to hunting. Like, not a damn thing in that vehicle would have given off the hint that maybe he was hunting or, you know, going after any other kind of animal or whatever. Um, the officers then um, had arrested him under the Canada Wildlife Act, which, if you don't know about, you should definitely look it up. I'm not really going to go into detail about that. But um, they had called for a con conservation officer. Oh my god, I'm sorry, I can't even pronounce this either. Um, they'd called for a conservation officer with animal tracking skills. Um, they'd traced the tire tracks of Cody's truck way up the road into the snow, like the freshly, fresh snow that had just fallen. 
They um, had then found footprints leading to the remains of Lauren Don Leslie, which was the name of the person on the hospital bracelet that they had found in the back of Cody's truck. After he was arrested for Leslie's death or suspicion of Leslie's death, um, he was then found to be connected to the deaths of three other women. Jill Stacy Stuchkenko, Cynthia Francis Maas, as well as Natasha Lynn Montgomery. Through DNA analysis, they had been able to link Cody to those deaths as well as, obviously, Leslie's. Um, so we'll go into a little bit about, like, the victims here. So um, Jill Stacy Stuchkenko was a 35-year-old mother of six Um, She had last been seen on October 9th, 2009. Um, Jill was then found dead four days later in the outskirts of Prince George in a freaking gravel pit. Like, I, oh my God, it's just the lack of remorse for some people is so mind-blowing. Like, the fact that he did not give a shit, he just whatever just dump you in a fucking gravel pit as if she doesn't matter the next one was natasha lynn montgomery she was also a mother of two she was 23 years old and at the time of her disappearance she was last seen august august 2010 september 1st 2010 around that time natasha's body was never actually found but it wasn't until the the cops when they were in Legibokov's apartment they had found traces of her DNA in his apartment which leads them to believe that you know there was no body found but why the hell would her DNA be found in his apartment like it just doesn't make any sense um the next one was Cynthia Francis Maas um she was a 35 year old woman who was last seen September 10th 2010 Cynthia's body was then found in a park in Prince George a month later this one was really, this one really kind of like made my stomach turn a little bit just because this sounds like something that you'd hear in the freaking like horror movie or something like that. Like it was really, it's just really not okay. Um, her body was found um, in this park in Prince George. Um, Cynthia had been um, discovered to have been, uh, had died from blunt force trauma to the head, um, which was kind of weird and kind of creepy seeing as how um previously Cody had talked about clubbing deer with a freaking wrench like so it kind of makes me think that maybe he did the same thing to Cynthia and um so it's kind of kind of just it's so mind-blowing um she was found to have a hole in her shoulder blade a broken jaw broken cheekbone and injuries to her neck and um the injuries in her neck were consistent with what would happen if somebody were to have stepped on her neck like stepped on it like it was a freaking tree branch just snapped it um lauren um leslie she was the youngest victim of cody and so (sighs) apparently um she had met 
Legend Bokov on the website Nexopia, which I know a lot of younger people probably don't know about it, but like, you know, any any millennial probably knows what Nexopia is. Um and Cody had gone by the name of One Country Boy on Nexopia. Um little side information on Leslie. Um Leslie was legally blind, so she um she had one eye that was completely blind in. And she had maybe about 50% vision in the other eye. So she could have easily been a taken advantage of by Lejibokov. Um Also, side note, Leslie was con- considered to be um, on the list of the victims found along the Highway of Tears. And it wasn't until, um, like, if it wasn't for Leslie's unfortunate and very sad um, death... Legibokov might not have even been caught. If it wasn't for him going out in the dead of winter and getting driving like a complete fucking asshole and getting caught by um Keller, he might not have been caught, which who knows like what would have happened, who knows who he would have like who would have been his next victim because honestly, like people like that, they don't stop after one or two. They don't stop until they're caught. And it's scary. He could have been wandering around Prince George, all around the North, just looking for somebody else. And it's... And a side note, too, about the other um, victims, um, Jill, Natasha, and Cynthia. They were all um, considered to have been working in the sex trade as um, either um, escorts or, um, you know, things of that nature. And which is kind of you know, kind of, people seem to think, oh, like, people in that line of work, you know, like, this is what they're getting themselves into, this is what they're, you know, they know what they're doing, but it's like, that doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what profession you're in, it doesn't matter if you're a sex worker, it doesn't matter if you're a fucking accountant, whatever you do for a living should not make a difference whether you die or not, like, it, like, it really doesn't matter, like, you are important. It doesn't matter what profession you are. You you count. You matter as a person. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, whatever. It literally does not matter. Like, your life matters. And according to a lot of um, sources, um, uh, Lejibokov was also a frequent cocaine user. And he'd use these escorts and um, people in that trade who would get these drugs for him and a lot of people know like how drugs can affect you like how cocaine and other kind of like stimulants like that can really affect a person but that's still again that does not excuse the type of behavior that he had and the actions that he did like it doesn't mean anything he just he was an all-around piece of shit. I'm just going to say that right now. And I don't care if anybody's listening and knows him and is friends with him. I just, I don't care. Like, this actually, like, riles me up that, like, people try to defend him to this day. It's disgusting. Um, Yeah, so a lot of people seem to think that, you know, they deserved it. They were just, they were, like, quote-unquote hookers or whatever. Like, that doesn't matter to me. Like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You matter. And you should not die because you're in a certain line of work like that it's not okay um anyway we'll get back onto this um so we'll go into the trials for um 
for Lejibokov. So Lejibokov was scheduled for a trial on four counts of first degree murder and this trial was moved from September 23rd or no sorry September 23rd 2013 but was postponed until the following month and then postponed again in June of 2014 so a year later Lechebokov tried to plead not guilty to all four counts of murder the judge and 12 jurors um heard the testimony from 93 crown witnesses and the defendant um Lejibokov claimed that he um, was involved in the deaths, but said that he didn't act alone, and then that it was a drug dealer, and then two friends of this drug dealer, and that they were the ones behind the killings, but would not name names, which is kind of, you know, like, oh, I didn't fucking do it, like, it was them, but, like, it's like, if you cannot name any names, it's like, how do you know that anybody's even telling the truth, and it's like, the fact of the matter is, like, they were seen with him, and the fact that he had Leslie's bag and her ID and her wallet and everything, including blood, in his truck. Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And that there was nobody else. They didn't see any other vehicles. They didn't see any other people. There was no other footprints other than his and Leslie's. And he's trying to, like, blame it on somebody else. And it's like, it, the blame game doesn't work after you've killed somebody. Like, it doesn't, like, it's not like, oh, okay, he didn't do it. Like, it was somebody else. Like... No, he did it. And we all know that he fucking did it. Anyway, I'm getting really angry about this because it's like, it's just, it's so mind blowing that like people still try to defend him. Like, I just, I honestly can't understand people still trying to defend people that do this kind of thing. Um, and the prosecutor did not accept this attempt to plead guilty to a lesser charge of second degree murder. And it's like, why would you? You know that he did it. Um... The verdict was that Lejbokov was convicted on all four counts of first-degree murder on September 11th, 2014. Um, Lejbokov was then sentenced to life in prison with no parole for 25 years, which is fucking bullshit. Because, like, I feel like, honestly, like, it might be kind of controversial to talk about this. But, like, I think if you take the life of another person in this way no fucking remorse whatsoever do not care about them at all like sometimes like this it's like I kind of like it, it's gonna sound bad maybe to some people but like I kind of wish the death penalty was still a thing for people like this like he he has no business walking the face of this earth when he took the lives of four women Four women that could have, you know, lived out beautiful lives. They could have, you know, been with their families. They could have been with their kids. But instead, he was selfish and took their life from them. And they're never going to be able to be the same. Their families are never going to be able to have them back in their lives. He took four fucking lives, okay? That's, it's ridiculous. Um, so he was sentenced, um in prison like I got there's no chance of parole I get that but it's still like it's just mind-blowing to me that like he just you know doesn't give a shit at all and Lejibokov was then also added to the sex offender registry given the sexual assaults as part of the murders and the apparent degradation of the bodies so not only did he kill them he fucking sexually assaulted them too, which is, you know, it's like, 
How much worse can you get? How much, how much of a piece of shit can you possibly be? Like, he's at the top of the list of people that I fucking really wish were not, not here on this planet anymore. He has no business living anymore. I'm just going to say that right now. I don't care if anybody's friends with him and watching this and listening to this. He has no business. No business walking the planet when he fucking did that. It's disgusting. Anyway, I'm getting like really riled up and I'll continue on to um this now here. So, um yeah, so he was then added to the sex offender um registry list, which is, you know, rightfully so. Like he disgusting. Um and according to people um who had watched the trial or knew him or knew what was going on during the trial, said that he showed absolutely no remorse, no empathy for what happened. And according to, um, there's a guy, what, who is his name here? I'm so bad at pronouncing names here. It's so, I'm so sorry. I believe it was Glenn Perrette. He, um, had said Cody should not be allowed to walk amongst the community ever again. Supreme Court Justice Glenn Perrette was his name. Sorry. And that's what he had said about Legibokov. And I agree with him. He should never, ever be allowed to see the light of day again. You take somebody's life, not one, not two, not three, but four lives, you should never be able to see the light of day again. Ever. Again. If they can't, why should you? That's not fair. That is, that is cruel to their families. I mean, obviously, I cannot speak for the families, but all I can say is that if I were in their position, I, there's just no way I would ever be able to forgive somebody for doing something like that. And it's just, it's just insanity. Like, I, I don't understand people believe in forgiveness for these kinds of actions. I really don't. I just, I don't see it. Um, in 2015, um, had filed for an appeal due to decisions against change of venue and his legal representation. And in 2016, the judges for the BC court appeal cases sided with the original judge and, Legibokov was denied um, his appeal and then Legibokov was originally imprisoned at the Kent Institution but then transferred in March 2019 to Wackaworth Institution where he still remains and is serving out his sentence. Um, I've seen a lot of things in the news recently the last couple of months actually about um, this case and how um, Legibokov is wanting to you know be with the community again but i i don't think that you could ask a single person in this community especially any of the women in this community if they would be happy with him if he were to be walking amongst us again i can guarantee you that everybody would say no he is a disgusting animal and he deserves to be locked up in that cage for the rest of his sorry miserable life and I get that this is my personal opinion. You don't have to go along with what I'm saying or agree with what I'm saying. And that's totally fine. Everybody's welcome to their own opinion. But in my personal opinion, I think he's a disgusting animal and should never, ever, ever be allowed to walk this earth ever again. Not after what he did. No, that's disgusting. And that is... um. Yeah, that is my personal thoughts on Cody Lejabokov and the whole Highway of Tears incident. Um, 
that's been happening in Prince George and all across Northern BC right now. Um, again, this is my second podcast. Um, sorry if I'm kind of been like all over the place and, you know, kind of, I might've, you know, said the same thing a couple of times, but I'm still kind of getting into this whole thing. So once I figure out my groove and, you know, how to go about this, I'm sure my podcast will probably be a little, you know, more kind of put together in a sense. So, um, I know this wasn't as long as the first one. Um, I thought this was going to take me a little bit longer than it did, but um, I feel like I kind of have a habit of talking pretty fast, so I'm sorry if I kind of like sped through this. I wasn't trying to rush through this at all. In fact, I wanted to take more time to talk about this just because this was just this whole thing has just been something that I've always been like really vocal about and um, kind of passionate about and just all around curious about, you know, what's been happening and what's going on and da 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 But, um, yeah, I really, uh, I really hope that, um, I might have more information coming on a little bit later. We'll kind of see how things go. Um, I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, if not, you know, just leave me some feedback with, you know, what I can improve on or if there are anything any stories that you would like me to kind of talk about and um yeah so I'd also um if anybody has any kind of like um personal stories to kind of share with me about this whole situation um I I would love I would love to hear about it and possibly add it in as like a part two so kind of keep your fingers crossed hopefully there's more coming here um I mean, more to talk about here. So yeah, I would really, I would really love it if um, everybody gave this a listen to and kind of hear your thoughts and feedback and whatnot. But um, yeah, that was um, my podcast on the Highway of Tears. I really hope you enjoyed listening to it. And for those that are listening to it, thank you so much. Um, this is just always something that I really wanted to talk about. I've always been very passionate about true crime and especially true crime that's happening in our own backyard. So with that, I would like to say thank you for listening and have a good night. Have a good day. I don't know what time it is, but I really hope you enjoyed listening to this. Thank you so much and have a good night.